from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be here with you this Tuesday night. If you want to join us on our late-night national town hall conversation, feel free to do it, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And uh, the Trump saga continues today. He fires back saying that there will be a complete exoneration. And I tend to agree with that. But what, what I find interesting is how much hate there is towards Trump. And maybe I'm a little bit biased because I'm a New Yorker and Trump is a New Yorker. And a lot of the bluster and bravado and all that stuff, that's just kind of how things are in New York. You know, I mean, New York's one of those places where, you know, you can like walk past somebody and they bump into you and they're like, hey, what the F is wrong with you? F you, pal. Yeah, up yours. You know, hey, and, 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 and right after that, you can say, hey, where, where's the L train? And they've been, listen, you got to go this way, that way, that way, make a left to take, you know, two blocks down and you'll see it right there. You know, I mean, people are just rough around the edges in New York. And, and I think that's just a, a part of the, the way things are. It's um, it's not something that I, I would uh, I would hold against Trump, but a lot of people do. And some of the talking heads that are out there and I don't mean talking heads like me, but I mean the ones that are on TV that are well, sometimes I'm on TV, but still other talking heads, not me uh, like Jeff Duncan. He's a former Republican lieutenant. Governor. He was on CNN yesterday and he says Trump sucked the soul out of the Republican Party and now it's their turn to take it back. Now, nothing wrong with what he's saying in so much as I just I have a differing view, but I want you to listen to Jeff Duncan. Check this I, out. I think there's going to be a lot of story behind that. Right. Who got indicted, who didn't get indicted, who maybe cut a deal, uh, which which elements they indicted, uh, what crimes. I mean, there's going to be a lot to have here. But this is this feels different. Uh, you know what? Donald Trump did is did his most damage in Georgia. Uh, he sucked the soul out of the Republican Party here. Uh, he sucked the morality out of the Republican Party, the fiscal responsibility out of the Republican Party. He's, he's, he sucked our winning percentage out of the Republican Party. He's taken everything from us, and it is our turn to take it back, right? It's our turn to win elections based on the policies that we think we're better on. You know, that sounds like some um, good, good rhetoric right there. It's fair, and I think it appeals to moderate-minded, fair people. However, I would say it's devoid of factual accuracy if you just look at history, right? Let's see, where do we go? Hmm. George W. Bush, right? Let's just go back to that. He was the last Republican president. Uh, then came Obama for, for two terms. I would submit to you that the lack of pushback that Republicans put up during the Obama years, and I know everybody, oh, Republicans are obstructionists and John Boehner and blah, blah, blah. They might have, uh, you know, they might have because of pressure from the Tea Party kind of stuck to their guns on a couple of issues. But for the most part, there wasn't a fight going on, right? It was kind of, let's go along to get along. And in real life, if you this with people and they're not pushing you and you're not pushing them and you're getting along and you take the gentleman's approach to, all right, let's, how do we fix this? Let's cut a deal. 
right? And that's how politics has been for a very long time. And people liked it because it was clean. At least it, it, it appeared to be clean, right? People felt that it was something where they could have this, uh, look, we could disagree agreeably. We could agree to disagree. Things are fine, but it doesn't have to be so toxic. It doesn't have to be so, uh, so ideological because ultimately these guys were all making deals so that they could all enrich themselves. And, you know, it's a balancing act. You got to bring home some bacon, some pork to your district so you can come back and pound on your chest a little bit. Say, hey, look, look at all these new highways we got back in federal dollars. Look at what we did here. And that was always the game. But then a guy like Trump runs on, on the idea that that is the problem. This go along to get along thing is the actual problem where we're not addressing issues, but instead we're cutting deals around them. And every time you cut another deal, it comes out of the pocket of we the people. So when these things start to come out of our pocket and life becomes more and more and more expensive, then each political party starts to take shots at the other one saying, look at how your quality of life is dissipating under the policies of the other party. And again, that is politics. However, we've reached a point, in my opinion, where people are saying, look, it doesn't matter if you are crook A or crook B. They're all a bunch of crooks. And nobody's doing anything to enhance or help the quality of my life. And I think this is why Trump has so much appeal. Now, the other thing is when this uh, gentleman, Jeff Duncan, when he says that Trump has sucked the soul out of the Republican Party, I would refute that. And I, I would really take exception to it because, and this is not a defense of Trump. This is more pushback on his statement, which I think is inaccurate. And, and the reason I position it that way is because I feel like the Republican Party was either dead or on life support when Trump ran. And that was evidenced by nothing more than the slate of candidates that ran and how little they were able to do to put up a fight against him because he knew what he was talking about and he was coming at them with passion. And they, they weren't used to dealing with passion. And just rewind the tape to, to the debates of him and 15 others on the debate stage, people that were well-respected, guys with great uh, position on, on school choice like Jeb Bush, governor of Florida, who's governor of a large state. The standards that we had were, you know, he was checking the boxes, right? He's, he's a, he was a good governor. He was this, he was that. I mean, you could have criticism of certain things, but for the most part, here's a guy that, uh, you know, many considered uh, serious. I thought he, he had a, a very strong position on school choice, which is a, a big issue for me. And I thought, man, this is a good guy. He's very polished. He knows the game. He's got the experience. Uh, he wasn't my guy in the primary, but um, I felt like he was really going to be a um, standout candidate in the debates and in the primary. And to my surprise, nobody was able to really hang with Trump. And it was because he just made sense on so many issues and was pointing out that they weren't the solution to the problem. They were the problem. Like Reagan said, government isn't the solution to the problem. Government is the problem. And I think he proved to the American people at that point that this is exactly what we need to do. We need somebody to come in with a fresh set of eyes that does things differently. It's used to making money and building things that are successful and profitable. Whether you question his, the way he gets there or not, whether he, he takes advantage of loopholes in the tax code that he didn't create or not, he was winning. And Americans not only gravitated to that, but then they felt the effects of what that looks like when you run a country that way. 
and you cut red tape and you cut regulations and you allow people to flourish and household median incomes go up by $6,500 and people do better than they were doing. And when you get to that point and then you have people saying, oh, but he's this and he's a Russian agent and he's that and the other and he's this and they're spying on him. They're doing all sorts of things. This is why people stick to their guns with Trump. And I would say it's the exact opposite. Trump didn't suck the soul out of the Republican Party. He breathed new breath into the soul of the Republican Party. And that's why it's so clearly evident when he does a, any appearance anywhere that there's more people that, that he can possibly actually shake hands with because people are saying, you represent what I want in America, even if it comes in a rough exterior. So that one was for you, Jeff Duncan. Anyway, we're going to continue with our conversation a little bit more straight ahead. We're going to talk about what's going on in the culture with our buddy A.J. Rice. He's coming up next. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. By the way, your ratings are up. Congratulations, everybody. It's always nice to check. I like to see, even if they're friends, I like to see how are they doing. Are people listening, right? That's but right. You're, you're doing great. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, Familia, welcome back. I just want to thank everybody who voted in the People's Choice Podcast Awards for the podcast of this program. Uh, we have made the final slate and I'm grateful to all of you. We'll know, I think, around the 22nd of September whether the program won or not. So uh, keep your fingers crossed and keep trying to vote, right? I think that's what the, the saying, vote early, vote often. Uh, otherwise, it's rigged, I tell you. Anyway, I'm looking at this story my producer sent me. Uh, it's about an actress named Sandra Bullock. I like Sandra Bullock, you know, and as much as anybody could like Sandra Bullock. I've never met her. But she, um, she played the role of Leanne Tuohy. T-U-O-H-Y, Tuhi, Tuhi. It's kind of funny to say that. I'm sure I'm saying it wrong, but it's fun to say it that way. And Sandra Bullock did a great job as an actress, at least by her peers in the Academy of Motion Pictures, and they awarded her an Oscar for her role in the film Blindside. It's based on a true story, and the person that she played in the movie in real life turned out to be not as nice of a person as she portrayed that person to be, Leanne Tuohy, in in the film. So now users on Twitter are ablaze. They've gone apoplectic saying, you know what? We have to demand that the Academy revoke this Oscar and that she give it back. And I thought, if this isn't the height of stupidity in cancel culture and wokeism, I don't know what is. And it's just crazy to think. And again, I'm not defending Hollywood here. But you've got to just put your thinking cap on for a second, right? And say, hold on a second. So you tell me this woman was hired as an actress. She does her job as an actress. She wins this Oscar because of her acting ability. 
and and her peers recognizing it through their professional association, similar to what I'm doing now with this podcast award for the podcast of this program, the People's Choice Podcast Award. And, you know, to think that if somebody were to say, you know, because somebody portrayed you or because you did a story on somebody and that store, that person was a D bag, then you should lose your award because we didn't really like your talent. Uh, we liked it then, but we don't like it now because of that person. It makes no sense at all. But that is where we are as a culture. And it's it's lamentable to, to see that this is happening in our culture without anybody calling it out. But that's why we've got the editor-in-chief of the Publius Post with us today. And he's the author of a new book called The Woking Dead, How Society's Vogue Virus Destroys Our Culture. A.J. Rice, welcome to the program. Brother Rich, great to be here. Look at us. We're all grown up. Look at us. <laughs> Looking good, brother. And... Uh, I, I want to get your take on this, just from what you heard. Um, what do you think of this demanding Sandra Bullock's Oscar back because the person she played in the movie wasn't on the level the way they thought she was? Well, look, um, let me just say this. I'm not sure I believe what is coming out now about the Twoey family. So let's start there. This has publicist. This has you know, Kaepernick era, you know, PR person mm. written all over it. Because I've watched this football player from college to playing for the Baltimore Ravens. I believe he won a Super Bowl with them. Um, I think he was on, it was on that team that beat Kaepernick when the power got pulled out during the Super Bowl. Um, I've watched him thank these people his whole life. Thanked them his whole life. This seems like somebody may have gotten to him. I'm not sure this is true. And the craziest thing is just this, this I guess, extrapolation where Sandra Bullock is somehow, her, perfor- her performance, <laughs> first of all, you have to believe the accusation. Then you have to sort of extrapolate and say, well, Sandra Bullock might have somehow knew that the, her fake job when she's pretending to be someone that the, the woman that she was pretending to be was really, you know, full of crap. I mean, it's insane. She should Absolutely. laugh at them. I hope she I hope she's not out in front of, you know, you know, the uh the the Chinese theater in, in West Hollywood tomorrow, you know, giving some <laughs> press conference about this. But you never Rich, Rich brother, you never know with some of these Hollywood types. I hope she ignores yeah. it. It's outrageous. Obviously the you know, the, the, the woke kooks out there, the woking dead kooks. You know, they're going to call for her scalp. But isn't it amazing? It's almost like, well, if we find out something about, you know, JFK or Lyndon Johnson or Harry Truman or whoever, and, right, you know, well, here's a great example. Gary Oldman plays Harry Truman in this Oppenheimer movie, right? Right. Now, he didn't, he didn't win an Academy Award for Harry Truman. He won it for Churchill. But there are people tearing down Churchill statues in England over the last couple of years. A lot of that's in my book. There's people that hate Truman because he dropped two nuclear bombs. So I guess now when you're pretending to be a historical figure, if that person didn't live up to, you know, the A-plus grading system of DEI and ESG and the 1619 Project and cancel culture, then you get your reward revoked. 
absolute insanity. And, you know, you mentioned that this had all the fingerprints of a, of a PR person on it. And for those who are just meeting you for the first time, you, you are also a PR person in addition to these other things that I mentioned on the way in. What's your story? How, did you start out in PR? Did you get into PR? What's it look like for you? Well, uh, my story is a little bit like yours, brother. I was the executive producer of The Laura Ingram Show for years, for years. Oh. Uh, I was on air with her. I was, you know, I started off getting her, you know, coffee. Um, <laughs> and I ended up the executive producer. So but that's like after working on Capitol Hill. So like from 2005 to like 2010, I worked in radio. I worked with Monica Crowley. I had a uh, investigative news show for John Solomon. I was brought in by Glenn Beck to launch the Blaze Radio Network. And that was about a decade ago. So, I, you know, I was in, on Capitol Hill for a while, then I was in radio for a decade. And for the, for the last 10 years, I've been basically doing this, working as a publicist, as a consultant. Um, we do brand management. We promote a lot of books. Um, you know, you guys, uh, you know, put on a lot of our people. We appreciate that. This is a patriotic, sure. audi- patriotic audience. We love you guys. Um, Thank you. So, that, you know, that's the sort of short and sweet of it. Um, you know, and a lot of those same people that I worked with in the past are, you know, current clients. So my day job is, uh, you know, promoting other people, uh, promoting their books, promoting groups. We've got presidential candidates. We've got all kinds. Um, and I'm a columnist myself. Like you said, I'm the author of the Woking dead. And then I oversee on Substack the Publius national post. So, you know, I've got irons in the fire all over. Um, but I appreciate you. I know your story. Um, and, uh, I think we've met, we might've met once or twice at, uh, talkers convention years ago. So, I mean, bravo, congratulations on the show, sir. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. And I want to jump into the book, um, in, in the next segment. I really want to dig into it because I know it's, uh, it's not always easy to go from behind the scenes to in front of the scenes. And, but it makes it a lot easier when you know behind the scenes and how they work. So let me remind the audience, uh, we're on with A.J. Rice. He's the editor-in-chief of the Publius Post, and he's the author of The Woking Dead, How Society's Vogue Virus Destroys Our Culture. And I'm really looking forward to getting into this, and I want to encourage everybody listening, pick up a copy of the book. It's still um, just mid-August right now, so you've got a couple more weeks of sun. I recommend picking up two copies. Get one for yourself, one to give to somebody else to enjoy for summer reading. Check that out uh, wherever you get your books. And straight ahead, we're going to continue with A.J. Rice. And if you want to join the conversation, feel free. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDES. There is more to come. Stay right here. Don't move a muscle because we're coming right back. I'm Rich Valdez. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen.
America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, familia, we're on with A.J. Rice, and he's got a brand new book, The Woking Dead, How Society's Vogue Virus Destroys Our Culture. A.J. Rice, what possessed you to write a book about the Vogue virus destroying our culture, and what is that? Well, you know, Rich, it's funny. I watch Elon out there calling uh, wokeism the, the woke mind virus. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping he's got a hold of my book, and that's where he got it from, because I'm sure, during the no COVID question. lockdown, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I sent one over um, in a Tesla. So, I mean, during <laughs> the lockdown, during the lockdown it, it occurred to me that while they were sort of holding us in place with their, what I like to call their authoritarian dress rehearsal, there was another virus afoot. And, um, you know, it, it, wokeism is kind of like Baskin and Robbins. It's got a lot of different sort of flavors. At this point, it's the Crayola 64 box. Um, <laughs> you know, you had the Me Too, you have the Me Too movement, right? You've got Cancel Culture, 1619 Project. You've got Antifa acting as foot soldiers. Um, and obviously you've got, you know, who I like to call the trans mafia who are letting, you know, you know, Gary and Steve into the women's locker room. Um, so you have, you have a lot of different aspects of this under this sort of woke umbrella. It's got, it's become sort of this, you know, evolving sort of group of, you know, our worst people. But if there is a unified theory of woke, I would say that what you're fighting in pretty much all of those instances is cultural Marxism. So, you know, they, they, with the Me Too movement, especially if you're talking about younger people, Younger millennials. I'm an older millennial. I'm gonna be, I'm a geriatric millennial, as I like to call myself. <laughs> uh, you know, with Gen Z in particular. You know, with Gen Z, um, they are really captured by this. And um, you know, I, I one of the things I like to say is millennials for all the for all the crap that we get from you know Gen X and the Boomers. The one thing that drove us is purpose. Now, sometimes the purpose was dopey. Sometimes the purpose was taking pictures of your food and putting it on Instagram. But mm-hmm. purpose is a noble pursuit. It's like, oh, well, I'm not going to sit here because uh, you know for 50 years so I can collect a pension. Or I'm not going to sit in your cubicle and 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 rot away. I'm going to go, you know, be a tour guide in Machu Picchu or wherever. And people do it. Or I'm going to join. I'm going to join the military. I mean, I I've got a million stories of it. Now, with Gen Z, however, it's very different. They're not driven by purpose. They seem to be driven by identity. The irony, of course, is that they don't really have one. That's why they're so confused. They have a hard time being authentically human. So I get into a lot of these different sort of flavors of wokeism, obviously using the zombie metaphor of the walking dead. And, you know, it's uh, look, there's a lot of humor in the book, there's a lot of horror. But, I mean, that's the definition of comedy is to transform, right, horror into humor, right? Tragedy plus time. So, you know, we have fun in the book. But as we were locked down, you know, your question, why did I write it? Um, Step out from behind the curtain, right? I I couldn't take it anymore. I mean, everything that we hold dear from our sports to our entertainment was under attack, and it still is. So this is my sort of fun way to push back. Outstanding. And folks, again, I want to remind you, we're on with A.J. Rice. He's the editor-in-chief of the Publius Post. That's on Substack. And the author of the brand new book, get two copies, by the way, The Walking Dead, How Society's Vogue Virus Destroys Our Culture.
you're pointing out a lot of things that, you know, we talk about very often and you're doing it very eloquently and, and humorously, which is great. But the, while you add some humor to it, th- these really aren't funny things, right? These are very serious things that we're dealing with. And those of us that are parents, uh, many of us are really scared because we're like, man, if this is how bad it is right now, imagine what our kids are going to have to go through or even worse, our grandkids. How do you see this progressing? Do you think it gets better? Do you think people start to say, you know what? I think I've had enough. I don't like the way this goes and I'm going to do something about it. Yeah. I mean, look, send a uh, memo to Liz Cheney and and Adam Kinzinger. I mean, there is a true, (laughs) there is an insurrection afoot in America and it's not the J six one. It's parents. It's parents. The irony, of course, they sent all these parents, these kids home. Parents got sent home. And while they're at home, boom, they're looking through the textbooks. They see Michelle Obama and Farrakhan and Oprah 50 times, and they see no Thomas Jefferson, no Paul Revere, you know, no Rich Valdez. They don't see any of it. So, and, and, there, and, and that's one thing that came out of the lockdown was parents starting to pay attention a little more. This is why you've seen some of these little mini eruptions around the country, right? You saw school boards being taken over. Like Miami-Dade County was taken over by conservatives last year. So it is happening. And look, you and I, we can, we can host all the shows we want, write all the books. But it's like, you know, don't ever look to Washington, D.C. to save you. You've got to save your own community. You've got to go in, whether it's a school board or a borough council, and you've got to fight back. Go in there, wear a GoPro camera, and speak your mind. And, you know, send the video to Rich. He'll play it on the air. You know, that's what you have mm-hmm. to do. I mean, you have to take back. You have to make a stand because, you know, the government's not going to save you. I mean, you think Kevin McCarthy's coming to save us from wokeism? I don't think so. So, you know, Mitch McConnell, <laughs> I mean, come on. So, Definitely. It's not happening. Foghorn Leghorn's coming. Who's coming? So, look, <laughs> you, you, that's what you have to do. That's the panacea to this. Um, you know, try to not... Try, try not to get arrested when you do it, right? Um, but <laughs> and just educate your, your kids. Educate your kids. I mean, look, we all have the ability to vote with our wallet, right? Um, I'm not Absolutely. against canceling anyone, but we can decide where our commerce goes, right? So if we're going to give our paycheck to Coors and Miller instead of Budweiser because they have a, a you know a, a, some kind of trans character jumping up and down in the bathtub with a bunch of you know, Bud Light Pounders, you know, we can make we can make those decisions, right? So if the yeah. NBA wants to lick the boots of the communist the communist Chinese, we can make those decisions. If 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 Disney, you know, wants to, you know, pump us full of, you know, either like you know, sort of black supremacy stuff or trans stuff in their movies, you can you look, there's a million the great thing about millennials is that we've given all of you Boomers and Gen Xers who like to sit around streaming shows, we've given all of you a million options to choose from. So there's not just three options anymore. You have more variety than ever for your entertainment and your sports. So just, you know, vote with your wallet. Well put. Folks, we're on with A.J. Rice, author of The Woking Dead, How Society's Vogue Virus Destroys Our Culture. A.J. Rice, uh, I want you to stick around for another segment. I want to continue to dig into the book, and I have a couple of more questions for you. America, if you want to join the conversation, if you have a question, um, feel free to give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833 833- 
4-Valdez. Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. this disastrous inferno running through Hawaii. They're calling it a wildfire. And yet here we are in America with a, not a literal, but a figurative wildfire running rampant through our American culture. And that's why we're talking to A.J. Rice. He's the author of The Woking Dead, How Society's Vogue Virus Destroys Our Culture. A.J. Rice, how do you see these culture wars uh, affecting the upcoming election? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, the listeners of this show are going to have to act as the vaccines for this because, you know, <laughs> Dr. Fauci ain't coming to save us. I can tell you that. You know, it's funny. Um, I like to say that we are dealing with right now four tyrannies. And, you know, some of them predate the golden elevator ride by Trump. Um, but, you know, the, the cultural tyranny is the woking dead. We've, we've sort of outlined who they are. We can do a deeper dive if you want. I would say that the medical tyranny is the COVID lockdowns, you know, where they sort of put us through, you know, a, a pain threshold test to see how much we would take before we, you know, shouted uncle. Um, when, you, when you look at two phony impeachments and four phony indictments of Donald Trump, and you watch the sort of executive branch and the legislative branch, or I'm sorry, the judicial branch working together to put this man in a vice. I've never seen a politician hunted like this, ever. Me other than the ones that were shot. Other than the ones that were shot. I mean, it's, I mean, we're witnessing sort of the passion of the Trump here. And then, of course, <laughs> apparently Bidenomics. Bidenomics. So this is the fourth tyranny. So you have an economic tyranny, which is Bidenomics. You've got a political one, which are these indictments, the hunting of Trump, going through Melania's underwear drawer at Mar-a-Lago. Um, cultural one from the Woking Dead, and of course the medical one that, you know, I mean, look, if they can figure out a way to lock us down again and hit us with another one of these things, they will. They, they never had so much power over us. And anytime you give a bunch of totalitarians that kind of power, it's really hard to get it back from them which is what, you know, you're fighting for and I'm fighting for and all of our friends out there that, you know, are in the patriotic media. Um, so, I mean, look, when you look at the top three guys that um, are leading in the polls on the Republican side, and I would even say with RFK Jr. to some extent, because, um, you know, my firm has some ties to him. My firm has ties to Donald Trump. My firm has ties to Vivek Ramaswamy, and then you have DeSantis, those four guys who are all leading, who are all scaring people, who are all having little, you know, spikes in the polls, they're all the anti-woke guys for the most part. Or, or might I add, they're the four guys pushing back on the four tyrannies I just outlined. So mm -hmm. it's not, I'm not shocked, especially on the Republican side, I'm not shocked 
that Vivek and DeSantis and Trump are are leading because their entire brand is wrapped up in pushing back on woke culture and the woking dead. So bravo, gentlemen. Well put. So when people go to, uh, well, first, where do they go to get a copy of the book? Look, um, you know, I'm selling them out of an Oldsmobile along 95 down here. <laughs> uh, no, uh, you can get it. Look, you can get them anywhere. You know, if you don't like Amazon, go to go to Books a Million. You know, they're kind of conservative. Uh, Barnes and Noble has them. Uh, you know, and other. I mean, there's there's a lot of retailers online. It's distributed by Simon and Schuster, so you know it does. It is available a lot of places. So, and everybody has different prices. So, you know, shop around. You know, um, you know, I can eat some ramen noodles if you could find a deal. So, go out, find yourself a copy. <laughs> but look, it's 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 more about getting copies to your neighbors, to your friends, um, and look, have a good time with it. We. Uh, it's a series of vignettes. It's kind of like an anthology. It's broken down mm-hmm. into 10 sections, and I, I cover a lot of different, you know, I cover the sports and culture, you know, the culture, comedy, and politics. You know, Joe Biden's in the first section. I call him, you know, he's the, he's the leader of the Woking Dead. He's the reanimated corpse, if you will, the leader, sort of shuffling about in his uh, onesie at night, and Jill's leading <laughs> him to his tapioca pudding. Love that. That's terrific. Now, uh, AJ Rice, what's the um, the best way for people to get a hold of you and follow the work that you're doing? Well, look, publiuspr.com, you know, and we're on pretty much every handle, either under AJ Rice or under Publius PR. You know, my day job is to bring a lot of informative patriots to shows like this. And whether it's, you know, foreign policy, immigration, the culture, um, politics, you know, you could find me pretty much anywhere. I'm on all, all the major platforms, you know, everything uh, from Twitter to Rumble to even TikTok. So, yeah, PubliusPR.com, AJ Rice. And there is a, there is a, a website for the book. It's the WokingDeadBook.com. Outstanding. Well, listen, brother, when I write a book, I'm coming to you. Looks like you got all the bases covered. Folks, check them out. We'll the get Woking you out Dead. there, brother. Yes, sir. TheWokingDeadBook.com and follow him on all of the uh, social media. Uh, you won't be disappointed. AJ Rice, I want to thank you for being here. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot, and you're pretty funny, so that's a plus. Hey, you're a patriot. You're, look, congratulations on the show. We'd love to be back. Keep fighting, brother. Thanks, man. Godspeed to you. Folks, and when we return, your calls and more, plus some of the crazy that's going on today that we haven't uh, had a chance to jump into. So keep it locked right here. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Yeah, definitely recommend getting a copy of that book. It sounds like a really fun read. And I want to jump into some other stuff um, because, of course, you know, Biden, President Biden, Joe El Baboso Biden, as we affectionately call him on this program, he, um, you know, yesterday, I think it was yesterday, early yesterday, 
Maybe it's the day before. Everything is a blur. You got to forgive me. I have time blindness, if you remember that, that uh, segment that we did. But the, the reporters asked him, you know, you're sending another $24 billion to Ukraine. Um, what are you going to do with Hawaii? And he said, no comment. And I think that was stupid. <laughs> really, really a bad move. For an experienced politician like Joe Biden, if he didn't have a comment, he should have stayed quiet, waved, and kept walking. They'll never report on that, right? They'll never go, you know, because they'll be like, oh, maybe he was, had to go. He had a big meeting, whatever. You know, he waved to the crowd and he walked by. It, it, it's kind of um, innocuous, right? It's like, oh, he didn't answer. But when you actually stop and say no comment, that's like, hey, go F yourself, right? It's like, I'm, I'm not answering. And it, it's just um, bizarre that he actually did that, you know? And, and then, of course, he had to double back and, and say that he's actually gonna go so following up on his no comment uh he was in milwaukee today and now he's finally decided to say that he's gonna go to hawaii as soon as he can he just doesn't want to get in the way and listen i'll give him that one right maybe not my word choice but um here's what joe el baboso biden had to say check this out fema search and rescue teams are sifting through the ashes in that five-mile area that you've seen on television has been burned. It's painstaking work. It takes time. It's nerve-wracking. Most of the debris can't be removed until it's done. My wife Jill and I are going to travel to Hawaii as soon as we can. That's what I've been talking to the governor about. I don't want to get in the way. I've been to too many disaster areas. But I want to go and make sure we got everything they need. I want to be sure we don't disrupt the ongoing recovery efforts. Is it just me? Really, is it just me or is it uh, my, my own bias towards Biden or, or is it fair? Was that a fair statement? I, I don't know. I, I really I, I'm critical of this because I feel like he didn't give reassurance. Right. This was about him. There are people that are dead, like a whole lot of people. What was it? Ninety nine and counting people that have been. Um, I, I saw one video again. It could have been fake, but I saw a video of a girl said she's trapped in her house and. Uh, or her parents' house. She had, her house was completely disintegrated. I think when you're president, whether you like it or not, you have a responsibility to to put your best foot forward, to put your, your big boy pants on and say, hey, look, I, I understand your pain. I can't really relate to it. I've never been through that. I can only imagine how bad things are for you. But you know what? We're with you. We're going to put the full full power of the federal government to do everything that we possibly can to help each and every one of you and to make sure that your families are taken care of, those that have survived this tragedy. But I didn't hear any of that empathy, you know, and, and this is the guy, you know, or at least Jill, who said, you know, empathy is on the ballot. Really? Is empathy on the ballot? This fool who's got no comment and then says maybe we'll do $700 in checks and stimulus or whatever it is they're planning on doing. He's giving money all over the place to other things. And again, I'm I'm not saying that the Ukraine money can be sent here. I mean, foreign policy money, I mean, I guess they could do some sort of diversion, but I understand how budgets work, right? They would use FEMA budget money. That's already done for that. Bottom line is Biden needs to not be so tone deaf and reach out to the people in Hawaii and stop making this look like it's just a normal thing. It's not a normal thing. Anyway, we continue our conversation. We're going to talk more Biden, student loan debt, And uh, that scheme, that's coming up next, so don't go anywhere. 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't move a muscle. We're just getting started. I'm Rich Valdez. 
live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be here with you tonight, Tuesday night, hour number two of the program. If you're just tuning in, welcome. Uh, our phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And um, a couple of things, right? So Trump is now firing back on the latest charges, saying there will be a complete exoneration. Then, uh, so this story was out a while ago, but it's back in the news today. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says she ate shrooms. Yep, hallucinogenic mushrooms on her trip to China. Um, I think we talked about it when it happened, but I'm happy to talk about this again uh, at the top of the next hour because uh, I think that's just a funny story. Maybe that's why she makes the decisions that she makes and the things that she says uh, pending uh, regarding our economy, rather. And um, Trump has been ordered to surrender by August 25th with his Georgia case to have his mugshot taken. Uh, we can expect a bump in the polls and fundraising dollars when that happens. Um, and, of course... There's um, some Hunter Biden news. One of his lawyers is now moving to withdraw from the case. Now, you know, that's a pretty bad look when your lawyer's like, look, I don't think I can defend you anymore. <laughs> this is like uh, a little too much. So uh, we'll get to what his story is on that. And Joel Baboso Biden, right? President Biden, uh, we know he had his student loan scheme and he got checked on it. And uh, the court said, no, 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 can't do that. You can't do that. So he went back to the drawing board, figured out another way to expand the public service loan forgiveness and to turn this into a $39 billion uh, bailout for student loans. And now uh, there are some think tanks that are filing a lawsuit to block the Biden administration and their plan to cancel these $39 billion in student loans. And, and this is an interesting thing. So I want to jump into this. With Anthony Russo, he's a political analyst and he's uh, the host of the Truth Will Set You Free podcast. Anthony Russo, welcome to the program. How you doing? Wonderful, thanks. So let's uh, dig into this a little bit because I think a lot of people have questions on this. And I think most people, you know, if they have student loans, they're like, yeah, that sounds good. I would love that. <laughs> and I think other people are saying, you know, hey, uh, you know, I, I didn't even go to college. Why am I paying off somebody else's college uh, loan bill? And this is a uh, a lawsuit now that was filed by a couple of uh, think tanks. Uh, tell us about it. Yeah, so I could not be a bigger opponent uh, against student loan forgiveness than I don't think there is anybody. And that's one of the things I've rallied against uh, oof, for the last three years, four, actually further than that now, because that's been a speaking point of the Democratic Party to try to buy votes since midway through the Trump presidency, as much as it seems like lunacy to say, let's just forgive all loans. Uh, what's interesting is I actually was on the radio a little bit about this last week, talking about this exact same you know, topic. And I came to the conclusion that one of the people asked me, one of the radio hosts asked me, he said, well, who's actually getting forgiven in these? And I was, I was looking at the $38 billion as opposed to the hundreds of billions that were in the original plan that Biden gave an executive order that got shot down, of course, because it's unconstitutional. And this is unconstitutional as well. However, 
I didn't know how to answer the question. I actually didn't know who was getting forgiven. So after I was on that show, I did a little bit more research, and it's not – I can't believe I'm saying this. It's not the, it's not the worst uh, direction in the world. It's not the Band-Aid on the problem. It, the thing is there's, two, there's one major problem that it, we're not addressing the actual current issues. There's nobody looking at uh, how, much, how much student loans are being taken out, how the student loan debt is increasing year after year, how the egregious prices for college. Nobody's looking at that. And that needs, that's how you fix the actual problem. If you want to put a Band-Aid on it, this actually isn't a terrible Band-Aid if it wasn't coming from taxpayers, if they were negotiating it from those that were giving out the loans and the interest and even the universities. This $39 billion, though, is helping those that have spent 20, uh, 20 out of 25 years paying off their loans, so they're at the tail end, they've done everything right, and they've just, just been destroyed by interest payments over that time, and they've been responsible. And then those that are making less than $10 or 15 15 or $10 an hour or $1,000 a week, their payments are on hold or they actually don't have to eventually pay them off. I can see a little bit of the point in that, as long as it's not other taxpayer, taxpayers doing that. They should be negotiating those off of people that have gouged. Instead, it's just leaving to the deficit. And then there's the two think tanks that have come in, and I believe one of those is from Wharton. One of them is from I don't know, one is Michigan, Mackinac. Mackinac. Some, they're in the north, and these two, um, these two think tanks are obviously filing an injunction and a lawsuit to try to stop this. However, it's already been done. Like People are already getting the letters, and some of their loans have already been forgiven. I actually know people that have gotten the whole, yeah, you're, you don't have to pay the rest of your five years off. So that's the current status of this whole thing, but I can say as somebody that's just absolutely against any kind of student loan forgiveness, this one wouldn't be the end of the world if it was being executed properly with a future plan. Now, where uh, I think the big question a lot of people have is if if there is a thirty nine billion dollar collective debt and the government's using the word forgiveness, meaning the person doesn't have to pay it back. Does that mean that someone else has to pay it back, that it's eventually going to get paid back? And I think this is the big question where people are saying, where is it going to come from? Uh, The the government uh, has purchased these loans and owns these loans. It's not like they're paying back other banks. I think they've already taken over those banks during the Obama years. And these loans were made by their Department of Education loans, many of them. So um, where where do you see this one going? Uh, do you th- do you think it's going to be the similar outcome where they go to court and they say, yeah, you can't do that. That's not within your scope. Or does he get over on this by saying, no, this is within my scope. This was a, a decision made at an executive branch agency where we're just readjusting our regulations on how we forgive debt. So as the injunctions filed, there's already going to be there's already going to be billions that'll slip through the cracks before that or not not filed, but before they actually reach a decision. Um, I do think it's going to end up being deemed unconstitutional. I think we're going to have a very similar situation as as the other one that was struck down. Um, But I, I didn't until I started really researching this. There's been billions that have already been forgiven while while the interim process of court proceedings. Once certain people have already had their loans forgiven, it actually they, they can't go back. Like they could tell people, like, "Hey, we're forgiving your loan." That doesn't mean anything. But people are actually getting phone calls by those that work in the federal government or work for the Department of Education federally. They're getting phone calls saying, "You have been this loan has been forgiven." And once it's wiped, it's wiped. So the money's already being spent. To kind of answer your last, you kind of your last comment, the the money is not coming from. It, it's confusing and it's kind of a it's 
kind of clickbait for the conservative side, and then the Democrats get to say, oh, that's not true, and it's somewhere in the middle. It's not actually coming out of the taxpayers' uh, taxes, per se, because they're using kind of a slush fund is the best way to look at it. The federal government has a whole bunch of areas, the Department of Education, Education has a bunch of areas they could just pull money from. So they're using money that could be earmarked for other places. And in the end, the way that the quote-unquote taxpayer pays for this is through inflation because our deficit is so beyond out of control. So is there a whole, hey, you know, this is costing you $350 a year or something like that? Not really. It is more an inflationary process, but it's not something that's needed, especially since if you're going to punish somebody in order to help the situation, it should be directed towards those that are that have been profiteering for too long. And, and ultimately, like I was just like, like the original question you had uh, on this is I do think I do think this will be stopped because there's really nothing different except for this is more of a stop story. There's nothing different in this in this uh, in this argument, I guess you could say. Yeah, well, I, I, what they positioned it as what it was the difference was this was an executive action from the White House. This was a retooling of an existing uh, student loan forgiveness that they had, like the public service loan forgiveness, and they just expanded it for, for multiple people is how I understood it. And that was something that's been around for, I don't know, 20 years or something. So they're saying that that was how they were able to finagle this. And I think that's what's slipping through the cracks right now. I don't know if everybody's going to qualify. And I guess once it goes to court, they might say, okay, well, maybe they're not public service, you know, and I think that's what they're doing. They're expanding that definition. Like, did you ever do an internship for any government agency or, or a social work agency or anything that fits that criteria? And then, okay, you're in. And, and that's how they were kind of qualifying it uh, from what I've read. So it, definitely interesting. Folks, we're on with Anthony Russo. And he is the host of the podcast. Make sure you check it out and subscribe. The truth will set you free. And we're going to come back with him with a little bit more insight from him. So don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And our guest, Anthony Russo, political analyst and host of The Truth Will Set You Free. And um, I know you've done a couple of shows recently that are pretty cool. Um, looking at this one here, recent program you did, Our Country is Racist as Heck, for real. <laughs> uh, tell us about that. Uh, I like to do a little clickbait. Uh, I, one of my most watched shows recently was when I actually said uh, Trump is going down, and that was after the third indictment. Um, and it was in quotes, but man, did it get the, uh, the ultra Trumpers fired up telling me I'm a terrible person. You're an idiot, all these different things. It's, uh, yeah. So sometimes I do stuff to try to get people to watch it and then hopefully they watch the rest of the show and learn. Some of the people on that one didn't the racist, uh, the racist one was regarding, gosh, that was, was that last week or two weeks ago? It was involving the fact that we bring race into everything. Uh, and it was actually not the way people think. And God, what, what was the? Ma- There's so many news stories every week, but there was a big racial racial story last week, 
and it was involving the fact that really the true the true racists are the lefties. That's that was the big thing is we're creating a racist environment by essentially deeming everybody that is uh, every, it, it's just, it's the way that they looked at any black person cannot have an opinion if it is not that of what a ultra liberal would have. So that that was the whole point is uh, their racism is prevalent in this society, but it's coming from the wrong direction. Likewise, there is there is those that are on the that are those that that's right. It was a Texas Texas teacher was another story from Texas that was fired because she was admitting how she disliked white people so incredibly much, uh, and she was a uh, kin, uh, elementary school teacher in Texas, and she posted all about it until finally, finally she got fired. She hated the fact that her sister brought home a white guy and just went ballistic on it. So that was what that was about. A little bit of clickbait to get people engaged in the conversation involving, uh, involving racism, which is not getting racism is not getting any better. I will be honest. I, and I think that goes both ways. And there's a reason for it. We, we as a society have adopted this, this unfortunate view of black culture. That's from things that are day hip hop, which is complete garbage. And we ignore we ignore the positives of the black community because we celebrate the negatives and it's created this whole, you have to, you have to think one way and you have to abide by every rule and say that, that all black people are good, no matter if they're criminals or not. And that's creating, I think some of those people that have been racist, that have their families, generational racism that slowly but surely went away through the sixties, seventies, eighties, and then two thousands. I think it's starting to come back the other, it's starting the pendulum swing in the other direction because of the way that um, the culture is portrayed, whether it's in, in mainstream media or whether it's just the, the situation at hand, what's going on in social media. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. And, and you know, I would I, I, I see things from a slightly different perspective in so much as I think hip hop is a is a billion dollar industry and, and it's made a lot of billionaires and millionaires and made a great life for a lot of people who've come up through hip hop music. But I get what you're saying. The message sometimes uh, is a derogatory one and whatnot. And, and you're right. I think there's a lot of emphasis on, on looking at the negative aspects of any culture uh, versus the positive aspects and trying to pit people against one another. And that seems to be the new trend, right? It's like, you know, if you're right, you're, if you're white, you're wrong. If you're uh, Latino and, and you're against um, illegal immigration, you're a sellout. And, and there seems to be such a, a racial animus that uh, underscores every societal and cultural topic nowadays that people feel like that they're they're compartmentalized into one group or another and this is the very essence of of a of a cultural marxist revolution that we've seen in china and, and elsewhere and i just find it interesting that's happening right before us some people notice a lot of people are talking about it but nobody really seems to care they just kind of go with the flow and like you said it, it seems to be getting worse whether it's racism, yeah. whether it's discrimination uh, based on on gender uh, or whatever, you know, the, the fact that all of these things are front and center yesterday. And again, I don't even know if it was real, but I saw a Skittles wrapper. It might have been a prototype. I, I, I haven't seen it in a store, but it, it, it said something like black trans lives matter on a Skittles wrapper. No, no, that's real. Playing. Yeah, there you go. Right. And I saw that. And it's I said, real. It's at Walmart. <laughs> wow. Right. And this was sent to me by somebody that is extremely apolitical, that knows me from like my real life outside of radio and doesn't even listen to the show. Right? <laughs> All they know is yeah. he's like some sort of Republican that talks on the radio. Right. But they sent this to me because they have a child 
And uh, and they were like, this seems weird. Like, why why are we having this type of messaging on on candy that's targeted to kids? It's odd. And so regular people yeah, I, that I, are I, again, they're just not engaged. Are they're realizing this? And I got to think, that's not working for the left, or is it? No, it's not working for the left. And it's it, it because the reason why it's it, it, it's fueling the far left. But I, like you said, somebody that really doesn't have a political bone, you know, in their body is reaching out knowing what you do. The center is starting to see the lunacy in some of this. And I, I remembered exactly what the lead story we were talking about. It was the Mississippi melee. It was on the, the Montgomery or uh, what, Mississippi or Montgomery. I can't remember what it was, the, 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 the riverboat fight and how what, it became a white and black, like, you know, sharks and jets type situation. And that was the thing. People were celebrating. People were, and, and this is how the media drives that, that, division and that wedge between people in America, but it was really the, um, it, it was the fact that it, these fights happen all the time, but the fact that a bunch of black people and a bunch of white people got together and it ended up being this major fight and the black people won. And the way on social media, some of the influencers like a Hawk Newsom, that's the head of black lives matter in New York oh, yeah. said, this is their independence day. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me right now. You can't celebrate this horrific behavior. Like this is, you don't see a bunch of, if you ever saw a white person on social media go, yeah, this group of white people beat up this group of black people. Like how horrid would that be? And that is, it's not just hip hop culture. It is that mentality that these are the leaders. These are the thought leaders in that group, unfortunately, that are getting the press. And it just, it's, it's how you strategically divide a group of people. And it's, it's done through, it's been done through the, the mainstream media for decades. And now social media is just making it worse. And it's a it's an unfortunate place that we're in because this is just as big of a problem as anything else we could talk about, whether it be vaccines or mandates or, you know, the presidential issues, you know, not covering Hunter Biden, only covering Trump for ridiculous indictments. But the, the racial the racial aspect is how you continue to make sure you pit people against each other. And it's it's a it's a pretty big master plan, if you ask me. And it's not it's not going anywhere anytime soon. Well put. Now, I want people to know where they can check out your program. Anthony Russo, let them know how they can hear The Truth Will Set You Free. Yeah, best, uh, best place to find me is Truth Will Set You Free USA and all the major social media networks. Instagram and Facebook are our main places, obviously, but it's on all the podcast stations as well. That's the best place, Truth Will Set You Free USA. Thanks, brother. Folks, that's Anthony Russo with The Truth Will Set You Free. Thanks for being here with us, bro. I appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate you. Yes, sir. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. We're going to talk about cryptocurrency and some of the craziness that's going on there. Very volatile. Don't move a muscle. I'm Rich Valdez. America, welcome back. And the infamous, right? He now lives in infamy, Sam Bankman Freed. He used $100 million in stolen FTX funds for political donations. That's according to the U.S. Now, again, you know that there was an indictment that was thrown out against him the other day, and then they revoked his bail, and now they've added a new indictment uh, saying that 
he used stolen money for political campaign contributions before the 2022 midterm elections. And uh, this is an amended indictment that accused a 31-year-old billionaire of directing two FTX executives to evade contribution limits by donating to Democrats and Republicans to conceal where the money came from. That's called a straw donation. Um, and uh, but $100 million, that's, that's big. I know somebody that they, they claim did this for $12,000, and uh, this guy got arrested, ankle bracelet, the whole nine yards. Anyway, it says, um, according to the indictment, he leveraged this influence in turn to lobby Congress and regulatory agencies to support legislation and regulation he believed would make it easier for FTX to continue to accept customer deposits and grow. Bankman-Fried is facing seven counts of conspiracy and fraud over FTX's collapse through the indictment, and uh, it no longer includes conspiracy to violate campaign finance. That was a separate count, which they threw out uh, and added this new one. So that's the story on that. But in the crypto world, things continue to go up and down, and... um, some are saying Bitcoin's the way to go. Uh, I want to check in with somebody who knows what's going on, and that's Christopher Alexander. He's the chief analytics officer at Liberty Blockchain. Christopher Alexander, welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. How's it going? My pleasure. Going good. So let's talk about the volatility in Bitcoin. I know, I don't know, maybe last year it was down, and then it went up, and then it goes down, and now it's up a lot in, in, in recently. Tell us about it. Well, it's um, you know there's a there's a great website uh, called 99 Coins. It uh, it tracks the death of Bitcoin. Um, it tracks the death all the way back to I think 2013. Uh, I think the site was brought up around 2015. But you're at about the 400th time now that experts have said that Bitcoin is finished. It's all over. Um, so it's always kind of entertaining to uh, to to look at that. And um, when when you do look at it, you know historically over the the, the 10 13 years. You know, you, you see this pattern of, of rising and falling, and 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 so far it's been um, you know, almost like clockwork. And so uh, you hit a low of almost, I think, sixteen thousand um, just six seven months ago, and now it's it's just about doubled, and it's kind of holding. Uh, when we think about why is it holding, I, I, I think you've got, of course, uh, BlackRock, you've got Fidelity, and um, Arc that are all looking to have these. Uh, these funds that you can buy Bitcoin in, and I think everyone's sort of holding their breath, waiting for uh, for that to be approved, disapproved, or whatever's going to happen. So you've got a bit of uh, um, wallets that are uh, distributing and uh, people getting ready to accumulate, and I think you're just in a kind of in-between, if you will. That's that's why the price has been uh, pretty pretty flat for a few months now at about 29000 now, when we look at cryptocurrency, I guess uh, from the macro perspective, there's a lot of um, questions that arise with respect to the government trying to get into the digital currency space with the central bank digital currencies. And some people saying, well, they should use Bitcoin because of the blockchain that it uses and it would be easier for them to use it. But they they'd prefer to regulate it and create their own. Do, do you feel like they're pushing the CBDC as a way to rival or not use Bitcoin, or is there something else altogether? Well, it's been that. So generally for CBDCs, um, you know, China, India, Russia, all the, by the way, all BRICS countries, very interested, which makes me wonder if they're not looking at um, kind of a CBDC play for BRICS. But um, Mm -hmm. there's been a really interesting um, 
development this week that, that really wasn't covered and kind of buried. Uh, if you're maybe with the FedNow system that they just brought up kind of July, August, it's, well, uh, kind of buried in, in FedNow is actually, um, and, 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 and forgive me, I can't remember if they're going to uh, test it and, and bring it online or they're planning to bring it online, but they're actually going to um, include USDC coins, which are backed by Circle, which is essentially a private stable coin, as part of the FedNow system. Hmm. So it, 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 it seems like, um, it, and perhaps this is proposed, and, 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 but, but um, it was in the FedNow documentation. We were looking at it, our blockchain, and, and kind of stunned by this. Um, um, it seems that, that perhaps the, the Fed, in their view of how to use um, a cryptocurrency and the SEC's view of it as a security and, and a minus Bitcoin there, and perhaps even the administration's view may not may not be entirely aligned, but um, we were we were just honestly stunned when we saw that CBDC had been had been had been listed by FedNow as a currency they were considering for moving. If that happens, um, you've you've kind of got this uh, this private sector solution for stablecoin that that kind of obviates the need for for a, a U.S. backed CBDC. And I think something else that would um kind of underscore the same point is the fact that what you just mentioned, right, that the BRICS um, nations are united around uh, a cryptocurrency and and they're growing, right? I see that uh, just today there's some reporting that Morocco has submitted a proposal to be a part of BRICS. And do you see that gaining enough momentum to become a threat to the dollar or is is that too early to to presume? Well, you know, um, I can't remember the, the hard numbers, but um, uh, BRICS is right about to surpass um, um, the U.S. and and um, and the, the G7 allies in terms of their um, the, the value or, or the I'm sorry the amount of um, of population and GDP covered behind the economy that that, that each one represents, and um, so th- they're not there yet. But but I think it's something of a uh, a shot across the bow um, to um, U.S. And, and allies that, you know, it's, it's time to start treating, I think, our allies uh, uh, more like allies and less like uh, 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 troops or, or pieces that we're moving around on the chessboard because mm-hmm. they are saying, well, you know what, we're going to explore an alternative. But, but right. um, you know, the, the idea, I mean, on the other side of this, the idea that Brazil Russia and China have so much in common uh, culturally, politically, uh, economically, that they're going to really band together with the Saudis, the Iranians, and everyone else. I think is a little is 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 a little unlikely. Um, but but what I think BRICS is absolutely becoming is a um, is leverage for countries mm-hmm. that um, are not always thrilled with U.S. economic policy. Right. And, and and I think I see it the same way, right? For some people, it's just like, well, hey, if you're not going to play ball with us, maybe we'll play ball over here. Uh, and it, I also see it, like you said, as a uh, uh, like a warning shot. But I, I just, I'm always uh, ambivalent to think, is this really a, a major threat coming our way? Uh, the, the fact that they're holding so much um, weight with their respective uh, economies, I think, is is a big deal, and it makes me think. If the U.S. doesn't react with some sort of um, crypto-backed deal, we would be left behind. And that's always like in the back of my head thinking, you know, it's, everything's an arms race, whether it's space or 
or or the economy or anything else. And, and I'm just wondering what what that would look like. So what you mentioned with stablecoin makes makes some sense and how that might turn into something bigger than it is now. I just wonder if this ultimately um, becomes uh, like a real thing and, and how realistic of a thing you think that would become in the future. Well, well, aside from just bricks and, and a common currency outside of crypto being a, you know, a concern maybe in a decade, a serious one, on the, on, on the crypto and blockchain front, you know, China has just returned um, um, with, with, with a bang back to cryptocurrency. They had banned trade of it, I think, in 2017. Um, and uh, they've allowed Hong Kong to, uh, to trading to begin through Hong Kong. Um, they've got an ETF, I think, that just went, already went up for Bitcoin there. And they are trying to build a, uh, a cryptocurrency and blockchain hub in, in Hong Kong. And I, I wouldn't be at all surprised, uh, particularly considering the long-range planning that the Chinese do, that, that they are building this, this crypto hub and accumulating this expertise for the very purpose of establishing a, 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 a Chinese CBDC. Um, so, so yeah, that, you know, and, and I should point out that, you know, cryptocurrency is the, is the byproduct of blockchain and the technology in blockchain, whether it's supercomputing, um, to, um, encryption and security, um, is, is probably far more important than, than, than what you can speculate with on a, on a cryptocurrency exchange. And, and that's the real national security risk and, 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 and opportunity for the United States. So. You know, certainly from our perspective, you know, we'd like clear rules and we'd like to see the U.S. make sure that, that blockchain development continues uh, because this technology has just scores of applications and um, could, could very much be a, a huge part of transforming how we do things in the future. I want to pull on that thread with China a little bit more, but first we're going to take a quick pause. Folks, if you have a question for Christopher Alexander, Chief Analytics Officer at Liberty Blockchain. Give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. across America to the liberty-loving Latino, Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, familia, welcome back. And just a reminder, at the top of the next hour, we've got Open Phone America, where you can call in on any topic. And I'm looking forward to speaking with you guys from all across the nation. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And uh, we continue our conversation on cryptocurrency with Christopher Alexander, the chief analytics officer of Liberty Blockchain. And Christopher Alexander, I want to ask you, um, we were talking about China a little bit. And if you just for a moment, put on your geopolitical hat. I know China, you know, crypto is not legal in China, but Binance has a lot of people there and seems to be doing some business there. And you mentioned that, you know, they're moving into um, to Hong Kong and it seems like China has their fingerprints on a lot of things, making a play to try to maybe try to dominate or control um, the move. And and I'm, I'm just wondering, how would that 
play out with their colleagues in uh, the BRICS alliance? In your well, I, I, yeah, I, I, so, so China's reasoning um, at the time that they banned crypto um, trading was that they wanted to protect their legacy banking system. And um, I, I think that, um, so, so starting from the internal and doing it external. So I think, um, sure. you know, that uh, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on your perspective, coincided with that massive run up to about 64,000 for Bitcoin. And I think you had a lot of, um, of uh, people who had wanted to trade in the markets that were pretty unhappy that they basically had to either give up or move their Bitcoin around or weren't able to, to, to accumulate more during, during that run. So, um, you know, just a few months ago, kind of out of the blue, they said, all right, we're, you know, we're going to open Hong Kong up. And, you know, typically Hong Kong and Macau have been how people in the mainland have moved the money out regardless of whether there were restrictions or not. So it's kind of a way for, for China to, to have it both ways. You know, they can protect their, their banking system. But, you know, the people who have enough money to matter can, 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 can get involved. So, so internally, I mean, they're always going to look after, I mean, as any country, right, their, their interests first. But right. with, with BRICS, what becomes interesting is if, if, if they accumulate a lot of Bitcoin in the next year ahead of the likely approval it sounds like now they're going to wait till 2024 and approve everyone all at once. So no one gets an advantage in the U S in accumulating Bitcoin. But I just saw a number for the U S um, um, entities, uh, probably 10% of all the Bitcoin will be accumulated by them. Um, that's in existence. So does, does China, therefore going back to China, do they therefore get a head start on this, take advantage of, of, you know, the likely rise that'll happen in Bitcoin and then underwrite other BRICS uh, countries, or you know, have the uh, the um, economic leverage to to bring more people into the BRICS alliance. I think that's um, perhaps you know what 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 gives them some um, some power and, and potential authority that they wouldn't have had in the past within within BRICS. Understanding that, I mean, it's mostly theirs anyways, right? Um, but um, but but I, I do I do believe that 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 could have a, a major major impact. Um, in terms of their CBDC, CBDC or joint CBDC, um, you know, it's, it's interesting that so many BRICS countries are all developing one. You know, um, it doesn't sound like they have a coordinated or joint framework for BRICS itself. So, um, I, you know, I think that remains to be seen. But, you know, it would make sense that you sort of have the, you know, petrodollar, if you will, um, from one mm -hmm. of the BRICS countries that is one of their CBDCs. And it kind of becomes the, uh, you know the coin of the realm, so to speak. Yeah. And, and I think that's uh, really where I was angling was I, I don't see China getting involved in something to be a, a passive participant. I think if they get involved, it's, it's their game or they're not in the game at all, whether it's bricks or not, that's just my take. So I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Now, Christopher Alexander, uh, for everybody that's listening and wants to learn more about Liberty blockchain and the work that you're doing, where do they go? Um, go to uh, libertyforall.org. That's with the uh, with the number four libertyforall.org, and we are um, a blockchain dedicated to a free and open society. Our chain just came online, and we're developing applications like a learn to earn history program, um, where people can um, visit uh, the Liberty Bell and actually receive um, different rewards for it as part of this learn to earn program, and 
we're looking at some other other capabilities as well that that um, again support free and open society. So um, definitely hope people uh, check that out. Sure, Liberty the number four all dot org. Liberty the number four dot org for all dot org. Christopher Alexander, thanks for the insight. Great conversation. I really appreciate it. Thanks for staying up late with us. Great, thank you. You bet. All right, folks, there is more to come straight ahead. Open Phone America is coming. We're just moments away from that. Your calls and more after this. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, Familia, welcome back. And uh, listen to this. This is CBS News reporting that the New Jersey Supreme Court has ruled in favor of a Catholic school that fired an unwed pregnant teacher. Now, um, her, her gripe was that she became pregnant while unmarried and was fired, and she felt that she was being discriminated against. And this case goes back to 2014. Uh, Victoria Cristiello began working at St. Teresa's School in Kenilworth, New Jersey, as a toddler room caregiver back in 2011. She was uh, approached for a full-time job in 2014, and court documents um, coincide with that. During a meeting with the school, the principal um, said, you know, that she was pregnant. Several weeks later, she was told she'd violated the school's code of ethics, which required employees to abide by the teachings of the Catholic Church and lost her job. Uh, Cristiello filed a complaint against the school alleging employment discrimination and violation of New Jersey's law against discrimination, which prohibits unlawful employment discrimination based on a number of factors, including an individual's sex, including pregnancy, family status, marital, civil union, religion, etc., etc. But in a unanimous decision, the state Supreme Court ruled the firing was legal because the law provides for an exception for employers that are religious organizations allowing those organizations to follow the tenets of their religion in establishing and utilizing criteria for employment. Quote, the religious tenets exception allowed St. Teresa's to require its employees as a condition of employment to abide by Catholic law, including that they abstain from premarital sex, is what the justices ruled. What are your thoughts on this? Should they have fired the unwed teacher at the Catholic school? Yes, no, maybe so. Your call's I'm looking forward to hearing about it. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. All of that and more straight ahead. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night, and Open Phone America starts right now. the city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez 
America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Hour number three, Tuesday night. Happy to have this conversation with you. Hopefully, you'll join our late-night national town hall conversation. Here's the number, 833-482-5337. And I want to talk about a couple of things. I was on Newsmax yesterday. I totally forgot to mention this. And uh, we were discussing this resurfaced letter uh, that uh, Barack Obama has, and I'm going to get to that right after the next break, um, and uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. I also wanted to um, get your opinion on what I was just discussing right before the the break, and this is an interesting one, right, uh, about the Catholic school teacher, because New Jersey Supreme Court uh, upheld that the school had the right to fire her because she wasn't married and became pregnant, and that was a uh, a violation of Catholic doctrine, and she had signed up to subscribe to the Catholic Code of Ethics as an employee at this Catholic school. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts on that. I really are. I would love to hear from America on this because I, I think it's, um, I mean, I, of course, I have my own thoughts, but I'm really curious to know uh, because, you know, it's a tough one to swallow, right? I think for some people, it may be cut and dry. Hey, look, you signed up to work at a religious organization. They, you have to abide by these religious rules because you agree to be, you know, part of that religion and you violated it. So you're out. And for others, it's like you just ended the employment of a woman that is with child. And uh, how, how is she going to take care of her kid now? Right. And and I, I think there's just so many ways of looking at this. And I'm really, um, really, really interested in hearing your thoughts on it. So give me a call. 833-482-5337. And again, I just want to reiterate that story for you because I don't know why. I'm just really interested in it. <clears throat> The uh, Supreme Court in New Jersey sided with the Catholic school that fired a teacher back in 2014 because she became pregnant while she was unmarried. Her name, Victoria Cristiello. She began working at a school uh, named St. Teresa School in Kenilworth, New Jersey. She started working as a caregiver in the toddler room in 2011, and then by 2014, she'd gotten a full-time teaching job teaching art. Now, court documents um, show that the timeline is accurate. But during a meeting with the school principal about the position, uh, she said that she was pregnant. And several weeks later, she was told she'd violated the school's code of ethics, which required employees to abide by the teachings of the Catholic Church, and she lost her job. So she took them to court. They went to court, and she said that this violates New Jersey's law against discrimination, which prohibits unlawful employment discrimination based on many things, including somebody's sex, marital status, uh, religion, and other things, and part of sex is pregnancy. <clears throat> so, in a unanimous decision, the state Supreme Court in New Jersey ruled that the firing was legal because the law provides an exception for employers that are religious organizations, allowing those organizations to follow the tenets of their religion in establishing and utilizing the criteria for employment in their organization. Now, I really um, am curious to know your thoughts on this uh, because, again, she did sign up for that. And uh, I'm just uh, very curious to know where, where people are at with this. A spokesperson for the New Jersey's Office of the Attorney General said that while the decision was disappointing, the office was grateful for its narrow scope and that it hopefully won't impact 
the protections uh, in New Jersey's discrimination law for the majority of New Jerseyans. Paul Verniero, uh, an attorney representing the school, said, we're pleased that the Supreme Court upheld the rights of religious employers to act consistent with their religious tenets and that the court found that St. Teresa's school did so here. Equally important, the court found no evidence of discrimination in this case. This is a significant validation of St. Teresa's uh, rights as a religious employer. Similar cases have been heard at the federal level. In 2020, a decision in Lady of Guadalupe School versus Morrissey, um, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that certain employees of religious schools couldn't sue for employment discrimination. So tell me, what are your thoughts on this? Let us um, hit the phones. Let's go to... Let's see, we've got calls from Los Angeles, Wilmington, Delaware, Tampa, Florida, and more coming in. Uh, I want to go to Doc. Let's go to Doc in Wilmington, Delaware, W-D-E-L. Doc, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Rich, I've got, I've got, I've got to make uh, one point, and I have to ask you two political questions. That well, first, do let, with what, what help me out here, Doc. Yes, let's start with that, because I'm so curious. What are your thoughts on this woman being fired for becoming pregnant while working at a Catholic school, Doc? I'm I'm torn. I've sympathized with her, but I but I but I, I but I, I feel that the Catholic Church. I think in my in my mind, in my heart, the Catholic Church is, is protected by the First Amendment of the Constitution. They can do whatever mm-hmm. the heck they want. Any church can, Mormons, anybody, as as religious institutions. If you sign on to the Catholic Church or the Mormon Church or any church, you know, with them, you have to abide by their rules all the way down. And if you don't. You know, that's just the way it is. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. Listen, uh, and that's exactly where I am theoretically. Uh, I just like to think, man, if I were in in those shoes, like, you know, what would I have done as the manager there or as the head of school or whatever it was? Because, you know, it is tough. And I guess probably a good severance and say, hey, look, I'm sorry. This this is this way. You know, uh, can you get married quickly? (laughs) I don't know. Anything. Let's fix this. But uh, domestic partnership, get something on, you know. But yeah, you're right. I, I'm, I feel exactly the same way. Anyway, what's going on? What's on your mind tonight, Doc? Well, I want to I want to ask you a question about two things, both political, because you're you're an insider. I'm just a grunt. I've been a volunteer in both parties. I'm, I'm back with the Republicans for now. May go Democratic because <laughs> you created other issues. I don't know. I'm torn. I love Trump, but but I, I want to ask you about two two different personalities, two different parties. Um, if if Trump is convicted in any one of these cases. Do you think that hurts him or makes him even stronger with the base? And do you see your buddy Chris Christie or somebody else taking on Trump and the Republican Party? Number two, if President Biden has a Mitch McConnell moment and falters physically, um, do you think that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Can gain, can gain traction against President Biden? Your thoughts, sir? That's a great question. So here's where we're at with that. I believe that Robert F. Kennedy is an insurgent candidate and, and one that could really appeal to people. If he were embraced by the Democrats, and I think if the Democrats were smart, right, I think the move would be what they did with Biden. So I, I won't I won't um, preclude that from happening. Right. And I think what they did with Biden was they said, look, this guy doesn't have a shot. I think Biden's run for president nine times. Right. And he's never done well. And it was in this last one where Sanders was kind of up and and there was Clinton and or, or whatever it was um, that was going on. All these uh, Buddha judge and whatever it was. Um, all those, uh, Harris, not Clinton, Harris, and, um, and they, they decided to make a deal, right? Now, the, the party made a deal with him, and they said, all right, we, we step out of the way. Uh, Liz Warren, that's who I was saying, not Clinton, Liz Warren. She was the one at that point. Um, 
And they made the deal to step aside, given that he would give them some assurances. And they made their negotiation. And I think that would probably be the way, right? If I were the Democrats and I said, how do we beat the Republicans? Because I think the Republicans are in a good place to win. Um, only because you have a guy, Trump, that is, uh, I think he's an excellent candidate. But he's also, they're, they're throwing everything, including the kitchen sink at this guy. And he's still doing well with the base. Now, of course, the base isn't going to win the entire election. In the primary, they can, but, you know, the general. So I, I think, it may, I would look at that and say, Trump is a force to be reckoned with. The guy has already proven that he can win. We, we, we need to take him seriously. We want to put our best foot forward, and Biden's not our best foot. I think RFK Jr. could potentially be the best foot. I think some would say he's not the most effective communicator. I think others would disagree. But I think he has some appeal. I think there are a lot of Democrats, people that love this country, people that are blue-collar union workers, and they're, they feel abandoned by the Democrat Party. And so many of those people, they're not Republicans. They're like Democrats for Trump, right? This is how they, they do what they do. So I feel like if the Democrats were smart, they would make a play for Kennedy and say, be our standard bearer, but here's what we need you to do. Now, of course, he's going to come to the table and say, look, the medical tyranny, that stuff's going out the window. These are things he's passionate about. He's, so they've got to give him some of what he's passionate about and come to an agreement where now they're in, uh, they're in a place where, where they can say, all right, here's our guy, RFK Jr. You know, the Kennedy era continues. And I think there would be some gravitas to that. Um, the other side of that question is uh, Trump, I don't see him faltering and going against Christie or anybody. I, I don't. I think Chris Christie is um, a skilled politician, uh, but I don't know that he's brought a, a ton of energy even to his campaign right now. Uh, it, it almost seems like he's acting as a prosecutor and he's prosecuting Trump in the court of public opinion. It seems like his sole job is to just give Trump a black eye each and every time he sees him. And so if that was his goal, he's achieving it, I guess, or at least he's trying to, you know, he's doing his job. Whether it's working or not is a different story, but he, he stays on the attack. <clears throat> I think DeSantis is, is uh, trying to make a name for himself, trying to separate himself for the crowd. But again, he's, um, his views are somewhat Trumpian. And if you're running against a guy who already had those policies, it's going to, again, be hard to create that contrast where people will say, well, why should I choose you if Trump's already here? And you're like, you know, supporting the same types of policies as Trump. So I think... It's not enough to, to get the, the needle moved. But again, that could change. We're only in August. It's not even after Labor Day where this stuff really kicks in. So that's that part. Now, I think that um, maybe Kennedy does become that person, and I wouldn't sleep on the guy. Uh, and he would, if he, if he doesn't get accepted by the Democrats, then I think he's great as a splinter candidate, you know, a Ross Perot of sorts, where um, he, he just takes people that probably um, weren't going to vote for Biden anyway and um, they're going to vote for him, and it's, it's going to hurt them, in, in, in my estimation, Doc. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, folks, we're going to continue with your calls. Lots of really good calls. Los Angeles, Tampa, Florida, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Long Island, New York. We're coming your way straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. 
That's Valdez with an S. All right, we are conducting another session, the Tuesday night session, the Tuesday night edition of Open Phone America, uh, a time-honored tradition here on this program. And uh, we are continuing the conversation with Isaac. He's calling in from Long Island, but listening through WJJF out of Connecticut. Isaac, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. How you doing, Rich? Uh, yeah, I've listened to your show several times. I, like, I do like the program. And I Thank want to you. make two points that are very two two points of irony here. Um, Jesus would not fire this woman, and we're talking about a religion that believes in the immaculate conception. Let's talk about point number two first. Um, what is what is that? Are you saying because they believe that a virgin got pregnant that that it's ironic that they fire a woman for getting pregnant for not being married? They're making an yeah. They're making an assumption. Uh, in other words, she could be the 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 uh, she she could be carrying the second coming. Let's just say, oh just hypothetically, right? I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, hypothetically, according to Catholic doctrine, I know a few things about theology, not a ton, but that would be heresy, right? It would literally be a a very big deal. So I could see why they they wouldn't go with that angle. But the first one, I think, is really interesting. Uh, because I believe you're you're accurate, right? I, I don't think Jesus would fire the woman. I think there's the the you know in the Bible he has this run in with Mary Magdalene, and they say that she was of ill repute and whatnot, and you know she thought that he was going to chastise her, and what ends up happening is he says you know go and sin no more, and it's the ultimate message of what Jesus brought, which was the forgiveness and the forgiveness you know made made eternal through the cross. So. Uh, yeah, I think that's an excellent point that you bring up, Isaac. And this is one where I think, you know, it's a theological debate, and I don't think, you know, an employee is going to get into a theological debate with with the church, and let alone not in a in a New Jersey state court, but on a um, on a ideological perspective, right? Uh, interesting debate for sure. I appreciate the call, Isaac. Thanks for listening to the show. Big shout out to WJJF in Connecticut which reaches out into Long Island, and I appreciate that. Uh, let us continue here with uh, Jim Kanakanki, Illinois. He had 10 seconds of fame last night on the program. We're going to give you a couple of more seconds tonight, Jim. Thanks for calling back. Well, it's great to talk to you again, Rich. No kidding. And I really appreciate everybody. I appreciate people that love America and that want to keep America strong and just what it's been for the last 250 years, getting better and better. But anyway, the thing that I wanted to talk about just for a few minutes is I have a way yes, to actually kind of prove the elections. And basically it comes down to this, that we're almost beyond what took place in the 1890s when uh, it, was no, it was not secret balloting. Now it's been secret balloting. Uh, the last, last date was 1950 that uh, uh, legislated secret balloting. But 
see, today with the Internet and everything, you know, everybody knows who I would vote for because of what they could just look at me online. You know what I mean? But aside from that, we have to be able to prove. See, right now you can manipulate everything. And that's where all this confusion has come in. You know, Trump spent $3 million a state trying to take perverted election results and try to make them make sense. When you don't have anybody's credibility on a ballot, when I go in and just sign my name to give me a ballot and nobody knows whose ballot is in yet, you can do anything you want. And so are you saying voter ID? Is voter ID what yes, you're... Um, voter ID. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always said that I've, I'm, I'm old. And you know something? I've always <laughs> had to show my voter ID and I'd have to sign my name and everybody knows me anyway in my own community anyway. But the thing is, though, they give me a ballot and my ballot has no identification for me. And so you can right. change. You can change the results. In the, in the Dominion machines and things like that, 29 states have the Dominion machines, and they were literally proven that they could be manipulated from outside because they were involved with the Internet. Yeah. You know, I, I, I know what you're talking about. That was, um, I forget his first name, uh, but the guy Pulitzer, who uh, did that, that whole study on how you could use Wi-Fi to manipulate the machines. In order for them to be safe, they have to be turned off to Wi-Fi so they can't be like hacked or whatever. But uh, all that being said, I agree with the, the principal point here, I think, is voter ID. And I think that is something that every state should choose to embrace. And and the fact that they try to shy away from voter ID and with the cheapest excuses. I once heard Kamala Harris, that's right, Kamala Harris, when I heard her talk about this once and say that, you know, it, it's racist to insist that someone have ID in order to go vote. Um, I, I thought this was laughable and I was offended uh, because, uh, you know, I, I fall into the category of a uh, person of color and uh, I always have ID, right? I, I mean, it, I, I, these arguments are insane to me that for, because you are a black or Hispanic or any other type of ethnic minority that you can't possess ID, I think it's laughable and it's insulting. So, Jim, uh, interesting conversation. Great point. I appreciate it. Big shout out to WKAN, Kanakanki, Illinois. Jim, I appreciate you, brother. Folks, we're coming right back with the rest of your calls and more right here on America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere. job, but I know you'll enjoy listening to it. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, folks, welcome back. Familia, we are going down south now. Tampa, Florida, WWTK. Edward, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Yeah, Rich, first-time caller, and uh, I've been listening for a long time because I know you used to fill in for Mark uh, Levin. So. Oh, cool. Thank you, Edward. I'm glad yeah. to, to speak with you. Yeah, What's I like on to your mind? To a lot of different shows. Yeah, I like to listen to a lot of different shows, especially after COVID. I've been... Aiming at L.A. and uh, 
New York. I used to live in Chicago, but now I'm in Tampa as of May. I have an idea of when a and I favor Republicans because I voted for Mr. Uh, Trump uh, the last two elections. Sure. And whether it's him or DeSantis or anybody else on the Republican side on the school choice. And I did this when I was in high school. Half day of work, half day of school. The last period is open discussion for the student body, particularly in high school, because this will be able to smoke out anybody who has a mental problem um, out in the open. And if these people are not allowed to occur, uh, accumulate a savings when they go into college, they're going to be into debt. They already don't want to work. And this is why we have this thing where immigration reform is in play because they're going to fill in the board of young people who don't want to work. So there you go. Well, you know, Edward, I think this is a great point. And this happened when I was in high school too. And I have two kids that just finished high school, uh, one a couple of years ago and one just a few months ago. And, um, for my older daughter, um, I think they had something like that in place. I know in her senior year, she was out by 12 noon and she did have a job and she went to it. And I think they give like some credit for like some sort of cooperative work release type of thing um, for seniors that are working. But you're, I agree with you. I think you, you need to encourage that as, as well as these courses. Like, you know, when I was in high school, they had just changed the name from home economics to a course called living on your own. Now, truth be told, I took this course because uh, every time I looked in there, there were nothing but girls in there. I said, man, I want to go to that class. So I went to that class. And I learned a few things in that class, but I was really distracted by most of the girls in the class. But they do teach you things about personal finance and stuff like that. But it was very um, um, cursory. It wasn't very uh, very surface level. It wasn't very deep. And I, I know that it's better now because my younger daughter, uh, she saw me uh, the few times that I actually used checks. Uh, she saw me and she was like, she told me, oh, make sure you fill in the memo. And I was like, oh, what do you know about that? And she's like, oh, I learned about it in school. This is this. This is the routing number. She knew everything about a check. And I was like, wow, I don't remember knowing all of that when I was in high school. So I was, uh, I was impressed by that. And, and she also has a job. So I think a lot of this falls on the parents. But I agree, the schools should come alongside parents and help them in making sure that children learn about personal finance. And it's difficult because some kids might have parents that are reinforcing that at home. Others might not. But uh, I agree that there are courses that they teach in college that they might want to introduce a little earlier in high school, maybe every year, you know, as part of some sort of, uh, whether it's part of their health curriculum or something else, I think it's important to, to get kids understanding. You have to grow up and earn a living and you can't just be independently wealthy and whatnot. And, and I think that's what you're saying is accurate. We definitely need to have that in place as often. I'm sure there's a lot of schools that do. And being that, you know, just for example, uh, born in Brooklyn, but I'm in Jersey now. And I think we have, I don't know, 600 or I think 622 school districts in New Jersey. And they're all independent. They all have their own school board, their own school board president. So it, it's um, you would need some organizing effort to really try and get that into play everywhere. And I would say for the most part, I think a lot of schools probably do have it, but we could probably do more to, to help. And everything for me starts at home. It's parents that need to do it. So I think you, you might have an idea maybe a whole business attached to it where you can, you know, create a curriculum that maybe can go national, but great point, Edward. Thank you for listening. I appreciate your kind words and thanks for listening for as long as you have been. 
uh, Edward in Tampa, Florida. Big shout out to you guys. And uh, we continue. Let us go to Cleveland, Ohio, W-E-O-L. Let's check in with John. John in Cleveland, Ohio. What's up? You're on with Rich Valdez. Hi. Uh, I really think that uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. would be a real boon. I don't really care much for either party, Republicans or Republicans, because I think they're both uh, <laughs> mouthpieces uh, for the uh, military-industrial complex in this country. Mm-hmm. They try to outdo each other in demonizing uh, countries around the world uh, to set them up for uh, sanctions, uh, strangulation, uh, invasions, and bombings. And this is a bane on us for the last, uh, I, I really think, for uh, eight, 80 years or more. And I yeah. think that... Uh, 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 Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has taken on some of the most uh, anti-social and dangerous lobbies in the country with all their money and power. The military-industrial complex, he wants to bring the troops home from uh, the n- nearly a thousand bases that the United States has squatting on other countries around the world. He wants to uh, uh, check the power of the uh, corrupt and uh, lying uh, uh, big pharma uh, uh, he's taken them on, and I uh, I think that uh, people that are disgusted with the similar with the uh, sameness of the Republicans and Democrats have a real real choice this time, and I think uh, he's really a national treasure and has immense moral courage to take on these powerful lobbies that have driven us into uh, bankruptcy and wars around the world and uh, dangerous. Uh, Drugs that uh, are only found out much too late that they've harmed mm-hmm. uh, millions of people through successful suits, uh, and uh, and I think that uh, he should be rewarded, and he sh- there should be a kind of a cordon of protection among the people around him because he's going to be uh, attacked by the media, which has uh, hundreds of millions of dollars of uh, drug advertisements. They're bought and paid for. The uh, uh, politicians are bought and paid for. The uh, FDA and the CDC get most of their money right. from Big Pharma. So I think he's going to come under a, a lot of attacks and ridicule and smear jobs. And I think people should rally uh, around him and uh, support him uh, right. and not allow them to discredit uh, or smear or ignore him. I think we've well, got a real chance for a change. John, I think you're, you're right on, on all of it. Uh, I, except for the part I'll say, when you're in politics uh, or radio or any other public-facing position, you're always open to the criticism and attacks of other people. I mean, just read the comments on any of my social media posts and you'll see <laughs> there's always a critic out there. But uh, that's part and parcel of, of the job. So I think he, he won't be uh, insulated from scorn and ridicule and criticism. But uh, from physical threats of his safety, I think, yes, absolutely. And most presidential candidates, when they reach a certain point, I don't know what the criteria is, but they um, uh, are eventually uh, eligible uh, for Secret Service protection, I think, based on polling or how often they win in primaries. I really don't know how it goes. I'll find out. But, uh, yeah, I agree that he should have some Secret Service protection and and his own private protection through his campaign funding and whatnot. Uh, I agree. Listen, I think, Kennedy, I would love to – I am a real fan of our republic. I'm a real fan of true debate. And – uh, I can have a dog in the, in the fight and still want to have a good fight, right? You know, you, you go to like a UFC fight or a boxing match 
and you you might have somebody you're rooting for, but you don't want them to fight a pansy, right? You want to see the best fight, you know, knock down, bash them, grab them type of uh, drag them kind of fight that you've ever seen because that's the entertaining aspect of it. And as an observer of this sport we call uh, politics, uh, that's what I want to see. And I think Kennedy makes a lot of points. He brings a lot of things to the table. I agree with you that there is an establishment within our government some call them the deep state, the administrative state, whatever and what have you, the elite, the establishment, whatever title you want to give them. There are people, like you said, in both parties that have sold out to special interests, whether they be the special interests of the military industrial complex that want to continue to uh, not just build our military, but, you know, uh, profit from war. And I'm, I'm all about the peace through strength model of Ronald Reagan. I think it's good for us to be ahead of our enemies with technology and in space and in everything. Be armed. Have lots of guns. And never use them if you don't have to. I think that's the way uh, uh, the, the world should be. An armed society is a polite society, and I think our country is no different. Uh, with respect to what Kennedy can bring, uh, it reminds me of what his uncle said, that you know, he, he, we, we should break the CIA up into, uh, I don't know, it was a million pieces or 50,000 pieces or whatever it was he said in his speech. And I agree with that. I think there are certain elements of our government that need to be disrupted. They need to be removed. They need to be minimized so that it's we the people that are in control, not they the government. Excellent call, John. I appreciate it. Big shout out to WEOL Cleveland, Ohio. Going to take a quick pause right here and get back to your calls. We got calls from Montana. Pennsylvania, Ohio, and more. Straight ahead, I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Mr. Call Screener, who is a budding radio star, by the way. Richie Valdez is terrific. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Open Phone America. You get to call in on whatever topic you like. And uh, today is the 78th anniversary, the 15th of August, of the Japanese surrendering in World War II. Again, always a big shout-out to all of those uh, who gave the ultimate sacrifice, and everybody who served in uniform, I salute all of you. Let us continue the conversation here. Where are we going? Let's go to Andy in Butler, Pennsylvania. KDKA, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Hey, good evening, Rich, or I guess good morning at this point. Yes, muy um, buenos dias. When President Biden was first asked about what happened in Maui, he said no comment. I personally believe that's because he's been told, if you're ever asked anything that you don't understand, say no comment. <laughs> For instance, if you asked him who the Secretary of Defense was, he would not say Lloyd Austin. He would say no comment. If you asked him who the president was, he would proudly tell you President Harris. 
<laughs> right. Um, so afterward, uh, they decided no comment wasn't a good thing for him to say. So now the people that run the Biden puppet have told him to say, uh, I'll be going to Maui uh, as soon as uh, it's appropriate. <clears throat> now, he hasn't been to East Palestine, Ohio yet, and he said he'd go there when it was appropriate. And I don't think anybody died in that, much less the massive amounts of death and destruction we've had in Maui. So I can't possibly see how President Biden could get to Hawaii before the end of the decade. You know, it's, it's an interesting point. And I was ripping Biden earlier tonight uh, because I said, you know, I, I didn't appreciate the comments he made at his campaign stop in Milwaukee. And uh, I, I stand somewhat corrected. And my criticism was based on what he said and how he said it. And the fact that he was, you know, kind of like speaking like a bureaucrat rather than like a president. Uh, but we do have some audio of him saying that the federal government and his administration is committed um, to to being there for them. And I want to play those just, you know, for the sake of fairness. Uh, let's go with Biden, Hawaii, cut one. I've spoken to Governor Josh Green multiple times and reassured him the state will have everything it needs from the federal government. He also said this. All that area they got to plow up, they can't do it now because they don't know how many bodies are there. They don't know what's left. Imagine being a mom or dad wondering where your child is. Imagine being a husband or wife, a mother or father. It's really tough stuff. And here's uh, how he finished that. Our thoughts and prayers with the people of Hawaii, but not just our prayers. Every asset, every asset they need will be there for them. So, you know, Andy, uh, again, I, um, I I think I was a little rough on Biden earlier. Not that he gets a pass and I'm going to vote for him or anything like that. But uh, I felt like his comments were just so empty and, and unempathetic. And uh, I, I felt that that's what they needed to hear. And again, even these comments, they weren't great. Um, the fact that he's, you know, really addressing the governor of Hawaii. I think it, you know, that's while well, that's uh, something that's important. I think it's really important for him to address the people and not at a campaign stop in Milwaukee, but you know, maybe from somewhere in the White House saying, hey, look, we, we care about you. We're here for you. You matter to us and we're going to be there. And I, I guess he tried that. And all my biases aside, um, you know, I think all of us are pulling for the people in Hawaii. So, Andy, I thank you for the call. I appreciate it. We're going to get to the rest of your calls straight ahead. we got calls from Arkansas, Montana and Ohio coming right to you right after this. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, to Akron, Ohio we go. It's the speed round. We don't have a liner for speed round, so I'll do it. It's the speed round. Frank in Ohio, go right ahead. WNIR. Yeah, my heart, prayers, and tears go out for all those people that were molested and raped, especially those coming over the border, mm-hmm. you know, that that have been raped, at least 30% or more. But I want to yeah, share terrible. something. I want to go back to topic. That woman, I want to give... New Jersey, kudos for ruling in the Catholic Church's favor. Okay, she can she can go catch unemployment. I believe every child deserves to have a dad. Okay, I believe yep. every child deserves to have a dad. 
So she, I'm with you she on can that. just go on unemployment. She can just go on unemployment and start her own club hose without Joe's. Okay. I think you're 100 pounds without shows. Oh, my goodness. That was rough. But thank you, Frank. I appreciate it. And uh, I agree. The, the court got this one right. Uh, let's go to Rusty Ash Flat, Arkansas. K-S-A-R out of Missouri. Rusty, go right ahead. Hi. Uh, how are you, Rich? I'm doing great. Thank you. Uh, I was wanting to talk about the Hunter Biden deal because, you know, Thirty miles down the road, he he was down here at court here a while back. They won't claim the the kid. And well, actually, finally- uh, President Biden recently claimed his seventh grandchild uh, in an interview that he did. It was about a week ago. So I know he finally claimed them. They don't let the kid have the last name though, and their excuse for that was that. It, it, the Biden name brings a lot of controversy and they wanted to protect that kid from the controversy. I'll tell you, you will be damned if I have a child that doesn't have my name. But it's a great point that you bring up. He, he was fooling around in Arkansas, did his thing, has a baby there, and he should do the right thing and stop, you know, you're getting millions and millions and millions. And I think at some point, a billion dollars. Um, just pay the child support, bro. If I got to pay mine, you got to pay yours. Thanks, Rusty. I appreciate it. Let us wrap up now with Frank in Evergreen Month, K-O-F-I. Go right ahead, quickly. Hi, Rich. I just want to be real quick. I want to say yes, sir. the biggest problem biggest problem in our government, in our education system, and, and the world is Microsoft. It's all built on patches. It's the most hackable operating system in the world. It's not. You know, and our federal government seems to love it, Frank. Uh, just, uh, I don't know, it was two weeks ago we got hacked. The, the, the same thing, the Microsoft email, Microsoft servers. Uh, I think you're onto something. It's, um, it seems like it, it's, it's not only very hackable, but it always begs the question to me, and I guess you can call me a conspiracy theorist. Let me uh, put on my tinfoil hat for a second. But I think that is a common way for like, you know, it's like, oh, uh, no, I, I don't want you to steal my car, but I left the keys in it and it's running right outside, you know, that type of thing. I think... When there's sensitive information and people may want somebody to, you know, get hold of it, who knows if our enemies are paying people to say, hey, look, this is going to go down for a minute. We're going to do this and boom, boom, boom. I don't know. But it seems like it happens uh, way too often. I think you're on to something, Frank. Anyway, folks, that's all I've got. They're kicking me out of here. The rest of the folks are coming in right after me. So make sure you're here tomorrow. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, take care, good night, and God bless. And uh, I am Rich Valdez. Make sure you uh, tune in tomorrow. I'm looking forward to it. And don't go anywhere because there's another show right after this one. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.